This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 16th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. As state legislatures start meeting in this new year, just how do they obfuscate, hide, and keep the public in the dark? Jack McHugh is a senior legislative analyst at the Mackinac Center in Michigan. We spoke about state legislatures' subterfuge last week in Austin, Texas. You know a lot about how state legislatures do what they do. Are there any general principles that uh, a an attentive layman could uh, discern from legislators trying to either hide what they're doing or present uh, an incorrect interpretation of what they're doing and get away with it, essentially? I would say that a good place to start is to never presume that what they say a bill does or is about is what a bill does or is about. Uh, And that applies to bills that are voted on and bills that are introduced and never go anywhere. Okay. Uh, I remember years ago uh, in Kentucky, uh, lawmakers would put in a bald-faced manner, because they're the people who are actually making law, and they feel, I think, empowered to temporarily suspend laws for the purposes of passing individual pieces of legislation. They'll say, notwithstanding the terms of this statute, we're going to do this thing, even though even though the statute would make it illegal. They certainly do that with their own rules a lot, and sometimes not just their own rules. So I'll give an example. In the Michigan legislature, there's a requirement that for a bill to get immediate effect, and I believe this is in the Constitution, it requires a two-thirds vote for it to go into effect right away. So, But it doesn't say whether that needs to be a record roll call vote. So in the, in the Senate, um, which is more collegial, they generally do a record roll call vote in the house it's a quick uh voice vote uh vote uh, all those in favor of immediate effect shall say aye you know three people say aye you know those opposed you know 50 people say no the ayes have it (laughs) and and off we go uh uh there's been a lawsuit i'm not sure where it's at right now on that okay where else do we see lawmakers who are uh essentially I don't want to say that they're lying, but it sometimes can be hard to avoid that that term when referring to what legislatures do and how they present what they're doing. Well, I'll give an example. Um, my head, I'm, I'm down in the weeds, so it's uh, I have to really drag. It's harder for it's easier for me to go down in the weeds and give a specific example than to, than to get general. Um, that example is some legislation, again, out of Michigan. This is, you know, my job in Michigan is to, to describe uh, all the bills and all the votes by all the legislators in plain English, uh, citizen-centric, uh, concise terms for a website. So I'm really tuned in on that. This year, uh, we had a binge of corporate welfare votes. And legislators realize that this is this can be dicey. Uh, they have, they have to slick the presentation of these things, um, or they will get accused of cronyism instead of e- economic development, uh, you know, betterment. So they the, a bill was introduced to deliver um, 
essentially a billion dollars worth of cash subsidies, taxpayer general fund revenue from Michigan taxpayers to some bit to a big developer, one big developer, a guy named Dan Gilbert, who has um, turned the uh, center of Detroit into, um, you know, some people liken it to the uh, the Baghdad green zone back in the uh, Iraq war. But, you know, where you're in that zone, you're safe and there's all kinds of stuff going on, but the rest of the city, it's uh, not so much. Um, and the bill originally, as introduced, said that the um, the withholding the the income tax withholding that that Gilbert the a develop a you know whatever the term of art that they use to describe the guy um, withholds from his own employees' paychecks, he could just slip that in his pocket and not send it into the state. We're just going to let him collect that income tax revenue, and keep it. Well, that was a little bit too transparent and bald, uh, even for the Michigan legislature. So um, the bill got tweaked, and a substitute that came in that said, no, he's, he's still got to send the money to the Treasury, and then, the, and then we'll have some little administrative uh, steps in between, and then essentially they'll just send him back a check. Uh, um, and, and, and that's, and that passed, uh, the house and the Senate was signed by the governor this year for income taxes withheld from employees, yeah, income taxes withheld from employees, sales taxes, uh, collected in retail establishments in, in one of his buildings. He's a big developer. Um, and I don't mean, I don't mean to pick on this guy, but I will pick on him a little bit because he lobbied for this thing. Um, you know, that's okay. Uh, that, that's what big developers do, but, um, you know, the, the, the real guilt is on the legislature side because of sh- sure everyone wants free money. It's their job is to say, no, you can't have free money instead of dishing it out. It, and I know the States have, uh, cities of a certain class size and things like that, or they will have, uh, businesses that they will describe in legislation that captures, that describes maybe one or two different businesses. Walmart typically is a is a recipient of these kinds of uh, legislation that doesn't single them out, right. but it singles them out. All kinds of stuff like that. Uh, again, in Michigan, for years, um, the, in the uh, school code, there was a def, there was a uh, different classes of school district that were subject to different regulations and. The, uh, a first-class school district that was, you know, exempt from some regulations meant Detroit. You know, the definition was written for Detroit. Well, there's that, that's one area. And then there's another um, local acts, and I think this is in other states, in a number of states, that restrict the, uh, the passage of what are called local acts, which is basically a, a bill that says, hey, we're going to give, you know, some goody to Grand Rapids or Fargo or whatever it is. Um, you're, in Michigan, at least, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, with, or you, you, it requires a two-thirds vote to do that. So what they do is, say, a city of a population between 6,600 and 6,900 in the last decennial census, et cetera, et cetera, 
you know, and, and narrow it down so much that it's just this one city. They also do that with some uh, liquor licensure restrictions and um, also with corporate welfare uh, type stuff. In Colorado, uh, with their Tabor, lawmakers have taken great pains to redefine taxes as fees so that they're not raising revenue, uh, they're not raising taxes. They're raising fees to get around the Taxpayer Bill of Rights in Colorado. We see that all the time. And uh, we also see um, licensure described as registration. Uh, so, and, and this, one, this game is starting to, um, uh, the world, uh, I guess journalists, some, some people are starting to catch on to this one. Wait a minute. Registration means I just have to tell you my name and address and that I'm, I'm doing this. Licensure makes me jump through a bunch of hoops. You're passing laws that are called registration because you know that if you go for licensure, it's going to raise some, some barriers, you know, some political obstacles. Um, and if no one looks very closely, then they'll, they'll buy in, oh, it's just registration. Um, so that, that is a trend that I would warn your listeners to look out for in their own state, too. To what extent do, do lawmakers use debt and bonding to, uh, I guess, in some, in some ways, hide the costs associated with some big projects? Well, you just gave an example of one of the ways. No, we're not going to borrow money. We're just going to bond for that. Oh, well, wait a minute. Doesn't that mean borrow money? Well, I guess so, but they, they, you know, it flows so trippingly off their tongue. You see this mostly in local governments where, you know, we're, we're bonding for something. Let's put that into plain English. You're assuming an additional $30 million in long-term debt, long-term debt to impose on your local taxpayers. You know, why don't you just say it? Yeah, in, uh, in at least some states, I believe there are prohibitions on contracting debt that goes beyond the term of a legislative, uh, not a legislative session, but a legislative term. There should be more of that. But but again, if if you're if if you're bonding the debt for somehow well, the state legislatures just ignore the fact that they shouldn't be borrowing money beyond a two year window. No, that's exactly right. And um, where where you may see this is in um, transportation, uh, where a state will bond for you know some some basically a push on a road repair acceleration, which oh great now we get a bunch of orange barrels for a couple of years. But then those debt service payments are going to take a bite out of every future road budget for the next 20 or 30 years. Uh, so they leave a hangover behind. And, you know, this, I mean, this is kind of just basic um, uh, credit card junkie uh, applied, you know, in a big picture uh, at a state level, legislative level. Right. You can collect all the benefits of having voted for this thing immediately, and you might be retired by the time the last payment is made. Yeah. And of, of course, the big one on this is pensions. Yes. Where, um, you know, I have a, a maxim, uh, government pensions don't get funded, they get underfunded. Um, it's, it's almost, and I mean, it's almost universal. There's very few exceptions of, of governments. And that is because it's very easy to promise benefits today and uh, not pay for them today, even when you have a constitutional restriction on that. Because of pen the way pension systems work, they require the managers of those systems to make a bunch of assumptions about 
you know, what's going to happen in the future. And if they make uh, Pollyanna assumptions, then that's the, that's the most common way of um, underfunding pensions. Well, well, we'll just assume 8% returns on investments as far as the eye can see, uh, you know, which for a long time w- worked okay, but um, that's just one of the, but, but for then didn't, you know. And, oh, and I, okay, here's an example of a legislative action. So on these pension systems, they, um, they will use a smooth five-year average to, uh, you know, of what their holdings are worth, uh, which makes sense, except when, the, when there's a budget jam, what the legislature will do is, um, will have, has done, um, is say, we're, we're going to cancel that, that, um, that smoothing and just go with the current uh, number right now for this year's budget. And that's an opportunity for them to uh, lowball the, pen- the annual pension contributions. And even though the, the five-year window or the five-year smoothing is meant to make sure that your payments don't go up or down too much over the course of a couple of years. Right. So, you know, when when canceling the smoothing um, allows them to contribute less, they'll do that. When it would require them to contribute more, then they won't do that, of course. Um, there are state legislatures or state constitutions that require the legislatures to have uh, uh, bills that will relate to no more than one subject. And uh, f- I've seen this frequently abused at the state level where they'll cram all sorts of things into the same uh, piece of legislation. That's interesting. Um, again, my experience, uh, my deep experience is in Michigan. And Michigan's actually very good about that. Uh, it's in the Constitution um, that a bill, can, you cannot amend a law by reference. And uh, so they, they really don't. Um, but so it's interesting to hear that some states are sloppy about that. Of course, the most notorious example of all is Congress, where you've got some agricultural you know, subsidy bill and they slip in a, you know, new, uh, give missiles to Nicaragua or you know, some crazy thing. <laughs> in my experience of observing state legislatures, it seems clear to me that the checks on their power to do what they want are only as good as the people willing to hold them accountable for uh, going along with what is clearly stated in law and in state constitutions. That's probably a fair analysis of all government uh, when you get down to it. Um, you know, to Tocqueville's line is America is good because Americans are, are good and when they're not anymore and let this stuff happen, then it's going to happen. Jack McHugh is a senior legislative analyst at the Mackinac Center in Michigan. We spoke this month in Austin, Texas. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.